From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. Welcome again to Open Line Tuesday here on EWTN Radio, uh, your Catholic radio network. We are glad to be with you on this uh, beautiful Tuesday afternoon. Jack Williams away today. He should be back tomorrow. I'm Tom Price along with our uh, Tuesday host, Father Wade Menezes. How are you, Padre? Doing great, Tom, and it's great to have you on board with the team today here at Open Line Tuesday. Delighted to be here, and we'll uh, give you the phone numbers. This program tends to move rather quickly, so let's give those phone numbers out right now. 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're listening outside of North America, please dial 1 and then 205-271-2985. Or you can send us an email, as the man just said, openline at EWTN.com, openline at EWTN.com. Be sure to put either Tuesday or uh, Father Wade in the subject line. So today, Father, and I must say that I've always admired this in you, you are a self-propelled priest. You are always prepared, always ready to go from the get-go. And so today you have a a great springboard topic that really hits close to home for me, encouraging virtue in our children. Yeah, and it's a great blog that comes from the Messy Family Project uh, uh, yes. at, at MessyFamilyProject.org, an absolutely wonderful Catholic family and marriage website ran by Mike and Alicia Hernan, a husband and wife team. Again, the Messy Family Project, you can find them at MessyFamilyProject.org. And there's many written blogs, many audio podcasts you could find there under different topics. And the one today that really impressed me is titled Encouraging Virtue in Our Children, because I've mentioned so many times over the air uh, on Open Line Tuesday, Tom, one of my favorite uh, numbered paragraphs in the Universal Catechism of the Catholic Church is number 1803, where we learn the, the definition of virtue and virtuous living. And, and the Church teaches that virtue and virtuous living is, is pursuance uh, on a continuum of, of the good, the true, and the beautiful, right? In concrete daily actions, with all five of the bodily senses, sight, smell, taste, touch, and hearing, and the four primary faculties of the soul— intellect, will, memory, and imagination, these nine great gifts that we should offer to the Trinitarian God every morning when we get up and make our morning offering, that we can use these gifts of the body-soul composite uh, in the constant pursuance of virtue. And uh, 1803, the Catechism ends with this line from St. Gregory of Nyssa, early church father. He says, quote, the goal of a virtuous life is to become like God, end quote. Wow. How about that, huh? The yeah. goal of a virtuous life is to become like God. So, you know, let's face it, we all want our children to grow up to be intelligent, well-mannered, faithful adults, the Hernans tell us. But as Catholic Christians, there is more to that upbringing than just being nice people, quote-unquote. It's about growing in virtue and pursuing the good, the true, and the beautiful in concrete daily actions, each one according to their age and each one according to their state in life. So even children, uh, toddlers, uh, latter toddlers who can begin to make little choices, although they're not held subject to the age of reason till around age seven, the church teaches, they, they can still be learning virtue early on. And we see this in some of the lives of the saints before the age of reason, like with St. Therese and St. Dominic Savio and St. Maria Guerrero. 
you're ready, right? Uh, we, we want our children to learn to do the right thing for the right reasons, and we want them to stay faithful mm. out of love for our Lord Jesus Christ, right? So how can you encourage virtue in your children? Well, Messy Family Project tells us, what, you know, what does it look like for them to grow in virtue from a young age and as they approach adulthood to actually be growing in Christian maturity? <laughs> to encourage virtue in our children, they teach us, there are a few things we can do intentionally from a very young age, and you actually are probably doing these already now as parents, they tell us, and it's three categories. Educate in virtue, practice in virtue, and persevere in virtue. Educate, practice, and persevere. And we'll go through these quickly here, Tom, and if we don't finish, we can finish them up when we come back from that okay. first break. All right. Regarding educate, to, to educate in the virtues, they tell us in learning something new, we can't expect to be an expert right away. If you have a goal of being a wonderful concert pianist, for example, uh, you need to first learn the disciplines of music, such as scales, reading notes, and getting comfortable with your instrument. So when it comes to encouraging virtue in our children, the first thing that we should do is educate ourselves and then our children about the virtues and what they look like practically on a day-to-day -day living basis. The things that you've already been teaching them likely have a virtue behind them. Uh, identify what that virtue is and the thing you are already teaching your children or the things you are already teaching your children, and then start talking about it with your children, even, even older toddlers who can begin to understand. Huh? Uh, for example, we want our children to pick up their toys, right? We practice it with them, picking up the toys with them, and showing them precisely where the toys go. Uh, the virtue we're modeling for them here is orderliness, the virtue of orderliness or neatness. Uh, we should avoid using language that is parent-driven when it comes to our reasoning for picking up toys, in this particular example, but instead connect our actions to our Lord Jesus Christ. For example, instead of saying we're cleaning up so mommy doesn't have to do it later all by herself or something to that effect, mm -hmm. uh, we could say that it is good to live in an orderly home because it brings our family peace and this pleases Jesus very, uh, very much. Yeah. A peaceful household, an orderly household brings peace, and that makes Jesus happy. Number two, practice. The practice of the virtue in question, or the virtues in question. Uh, once we've introduced a virtue, we then need uh, to practice it, just like the aspiring uh, concert pianist, right? Uh, this step takes years of going over the disciplines, relearning definitions, and making small, gentle corrections. For our children, this is a great time to begin to recognize the virtues practiced by those around us. Point out virtue when you see it in one of your children or in your spouse, uh, at the grocery store, at the playground, or even in your own home. For older children, pick a virtue of the week, and at dinner, Talk about the instances when you saw that virtue in practice within the family this week. Uh, this type of con conversation uh, solidifies the vocabulary and gives them examples of daily life oriented to our Lord Jesus Christ and helps us to live a Christocentric life, right? Remember to use language that points uh, to the spiritual life and to their relationship with the Lord. Uh, so often we hear that the spiritual life is just a set of rules to be followed, quote, end quote. But nothing can be further from the truth for the Catholic Christian. Uh, when we intertwine a loving relationship with God and with others to those guidelines, they're no longer rules, but they become guardrails mm. to live a holy, joyful, and fulfilled life. Think of a guardrail on an interstate, yes, right? Yes. It keeps us in the proper lane. We just have to solidify that connection. And thirdly, persevere in the virtue. 
We have an understanding, don't we, uh, of virtue now, basically. Uh, we know that it pursues the good, the true, and the beautiful in concrete daily action, what that looks like uh, when it's age-appropriate, when it's vocation-appropriate, and when it's communicated to our children as they grow. And now comes the hard part for them and for us, perseverance in the task of virtue, making it habitual. Uh, applied to both parents and children here, this step is our chance to show our children that the pursuit of virtue is a lifelong goal, that we're not perfect at it either, necessarily, that we got to grow in it. We are uh, in the trenches with our children, making slow progress and asking God for the grace to keep growing. We cannot solely will ourselves into virtue. No, growth in the moral life uh, comes from the Lord, helped along with his grace, both actual and sanctifying grace, and flows from the prayer life and the sacramental life that we live dedicatedly. Mm. Every child will reach this phase of, of perseverance in the virtue with each virtue at a different time. Each child will be different. Just like us adults, they may struggle with a virtue uh, while other virtues might come naturally for them. Uh, the key to supporting our children is to show them that this isn't an area where they aren't living up to expectations. Rather, it's an opportunity to grow and consistently work on the virtue and learn alongside of your siblings and your parents as you yourself, as a child, grow into Christian maturity like Christ, your head. Huh? Mm, yeah. I think, I think the, the Christ is our head and we are the members of his body, the church. It, it can already rightfully be taught to someone around the age of seven in an appropriate way. They can grasp that concept. We want to become mature like Christ, the head. So growth in virtue, Tom, is a lifelong mission. Our yes. role as parents in encouraging virtue in our children changes as they grow, just like everything else does in parenting. What matters most in encouraging virtue is our intentionality, right? And our communicating it in a relationship way to our children behind the virtues themselves that they practice so that they don't become a set of rules to live by merely, but rather a part of a loving relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. So parents out there listening live this hour or watching live this hour at, at YouTube or Facebook's feed here at EWTN Open Line Tuesday, uh, what are some of your own pointers to help your children, older toddlers through their teenage years, to grow in virtue? Give us a call today on Open Line Tuesday and give a witness of what some of your pointers are as parents, again, to help your children grow in virtue. I'm thinking of uh, one of our producers here, Tom Gray, uh, when, when, when you mentioned perseverance, he would use the term reps, you know, which is, which is what a bodybuilder would use. you got to get those reps in. Every Great day. analogy. And I've been doing that since my shoulder surgery. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, phones are open right now if you have a question for Father Wade, uh, and that number, 833-288-EWTN, 833-288-3986. Open line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes here on EWTN. Stay with us. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question... Call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. Yes, indeed. Lines are filling up quickly, but uh, there's one available for you right now at 833-288-EWTN. If you have a question for Father Wade Menezes, 833-288-3986. In the uh, 
earlier segment there, Father was talking about the Messy Family Podcast, which is fantastic. That's now available from EWTN's Podcast Central. Just go to EWTNradio.net, click on the word podcasts, and you are good to go. You'll see not only the Messy Family Podcast, but a whole bunch of wonderful podcasts that we have assembled from uh, literally all over the Catholic world. Hey, if you enjoy EWTN Bookmark Brief with Doug Keck, you can now receive weekly emails, including a short video blog featuring the author giving a short synopsis of their work in his or her own words. Fantastic. Just visit EWTN.com and click on the word subscribe. Again, EWTN.com. Click on subscribe. That'll open up a little menu of things that you can subscribe to. You just choose a bookmark brief and you are good to go. If you're ready now, let's get to the phones at 833-288-EWTN. We begin with Gina in Washington listening on the great Sacred Heart Radio. Hey, Gina, what's on your mind today? Hi. Um, well, I want to thank you for your show, of course. And uh, in your response to your request for testimony yes, on sure. increasing children's virtues, um, so I have a 13-year-old, and um, this year he was going to go through confirmation, uh, and very painfully he told me he actually was... T- was not going to, and that he now doesn't believe, and it's just a lot of a lot of pain through that. But mm-hmm. um, I, and there's been just a little bit, there's more rebellion this year, and just difficulty. Anyway, I um, really have had it on my heart that uh, this year the praise is the breakthrough, um, and God sh- has shown that to me. So there's not really anything I can say or even really do or force upon my son. I mean, I can certainly act in virtue as best as I can. But um, what I learn, what I'm learning is that um, I just turn to God and praise Him and thank Him in all of the difficult moments when the virtues are clearly not present <laughs> or our family is having issues or there's problems. And um, I am noticing, you know, it's slow, but I'm noticing some change in countenance and and differences. And I don't necessarily do it in front of my son either. Sometimes I just remove myself and I go do it quietly in my room um, or wherever. But what started it was that I had been praying about it and very concerned and worried and, you know, hurt. And uh, I had a dream one night that was very disturbing, and um, I woke up at, like, in the middle of the night, and I had an urgent need to just praise God and thank Him out loud in my, like, right in the middle of the night, and that's kind of what taught me that. (laughs) Like, I felt very much that was God, and I felt peace and amazing change from that dream to the next moment. Mm Mm-hmm. Almost immediately, and it and I haven't had that since. So, anyway, well, wonderful. just something. Gina, Gina thank you so learned. much for a great call and and great comments. I, I have a couple of questions that'll help me kind of see through this a little bit. Uh, you don't mention a, a husband or the the boy's father. You did call him a son, the thirteen year old. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm just curious: yeah. is is the father in the boy's life at all? A simple yes or no. You don't need to go into detail as to what the answer is, but just a simple yes sure. or no. Yes, he's in his life. 
Okay. Uh, and I'm wondering, did you and your husband ever have a chance to literally, literally sit down even several times to explain the doctrine of the church on the sacrament of confirmation as to how it's one of the three sacraments of initiation, along with baptism and Eucharist, which makes one fully, fully a member of the faith to obtain all the graces necessary to their full of capacity of initiation, the fullness of membership in the church, which confirmation affords along with Eucharist and baptism. Do you, do you guys get to explain to him exactly what the confirmation sacrament is? I know that he probably had a class because you said he, he announced mm -hmm. to you that he chose to mm -hmm. withdraw from it. So apart from what the teacher or teachers were teaching at the parish in the classroom, forget that now. I want to know yeah. if mom and dad per se per se, sat down with him. Did you have that opportunity at all? Um, I had talked to him a bit about it. How about uh, you and your husband not... together? You and your husband together? No, my husband's gone. Okay. So. Okay. Yeah. But he is in the boy's life. And he's life. not Catholic. He's okay. not Catholic. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. and he was, did he ask to be removed from the CCD class as well, or, or only from the sacrament of confirmation and walking through with the class? Only from the sacrament. So he still goes to CCD? Well, it's actually part of the of religion class at school. And he, okay. and he loves his school, but he's... Oh, okay. So it's a Catholic yeah, school he goes to? He, yes, and he's, oh, okay. he's just distraught over mm -hmm. everything that's happening mm -hmm. in our family. And, you know. Yeah, sure. And he yeah, sees they're... me praying all the time, and so he believes oh, that prayer I... does not work. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have no doubt that your prayers for him will assist him. Every day, if I could recommend this, every day, if even just with a passing thought, uh, consecrate your son to the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and fast and pray for him. Fast and pray for him, and all what you're doing, the prayer part, and also consecrate him daily, like in your morning offering when you get up and you make your daily morning offering, not knowing, for example, if that's the day that you're going to die and that you're going to meet your maker. That's why we make a morning offering. We want to live eternity-minded in a joyful, prudent, loving way, and that's why the morning offering is so important in the spiritual life. When you make your morning offering in the morning, consecrate your son, your 13-year-old son, to the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and keep praying for him, a, a mother's heart, uh, you remind me of Monica praying for Augustine, yeah. a very young Augustine. Uh, so thank you so much, uh, Gina, for your wonderful witness call today. We really, really appreciate it. God bless you, Gina. You will be in our prayers, as will your son. That opens up a line for you right now at 833-288-EWTN. If you have a question for Father Wade Menezes, 833-288-3986. Open line Tuesday with Father Wade here on EWTN. Let's go to Terry now in Michigan, listening on the great Ave Maria radio. Terry, what's on your mind today, sir? Yes, hello, and hello, uh, Father I had a question uh, about the gospel teaching the application of a country being able to control its borders. I see current situations, I'm reading the news about how many people will be entering this country illegally, and some of them seem to, most of the ones I see are young men in their 20s and 30s, and not too many women with children, and I'm very concerned about people who might be dealing and uh, having part of a drug cartel or involved in human trafficking and and um, fentanyl distribution uh, coming into this country. Now, once they're here, wouldn't we have the right to return those people from whence they came? 
good good series of questions and and don't forget the articles that have come out in the last month about the same 20 to to early 30 year old males who are Chinese coming in through the southern border yes. as well. Yes. That's also of a concern. So the Catechism of the Catholic Church teaches us very clearly in number 2241 uh, in the section on social de- justice that the more prosperous nations are obliged to the extent that they are able, meaning if they're not able, they don't have to, but they are obliged to the extent that they are able to welcome the foreigner in search of the security and the means of livelihood which they cannot find in their country of origin. Public authorities should see to it that the natural right, this natural right, is respected and that uh, it places a, a guest uh, under the protection of those who receive him, provided the country receiving them have the means to take care of them. So, for example, uh, housing, food, uh, transportation, health care, uh, these are things that have to be looked at first for the prosperous nation's own uh, citizen citizenry uh, before looking at the welcoming of others or to what extent we're going to welcome others. And the United States is a prosperous nation. There's no doubt about that. No. But also in the modern day and age in which we live, when it is so easy to uh, be brought in under a guise of immigration, when in reality uh, it, it, there could be communist principles being smuggled in, there could be drug principles being smuggled in, uh, and ties to these types of things, uh, we need to be extra, extra cautious. There's no doubt about it whatsoever. And before we have a carte blanche, absolute, open, wide policy, we need to look at our own resources first for our own citizenry. And this has been the constant teaching of the Church rooted in St. Thomas Aquinas. So I want to I urge you to look at number 2241 uh, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, in the section on social justice, but specifically under a, a, prior, uh, uh, a subsection titled The Duties of Citizens. The Duties of Citizens. Uh, and also the political community and the church, and how the two correspond one with the other. The political community and the church. This is section 2238 uh, all the way through... 2246, uh, not, not very many numbered paragraphs, really, and then that 2241 talks about uh, the importance of immigration being followed according to the means that the inviting country has, primarily to take care of its own citizenry, and secondarily to take care of those who are seeking a better life in this country because they cannot find it in their place of origin, their nation yeah. of origin. Terry, thanks so much uh, for your call. Appreciate that. Lulu is watching us on YouTube this afternoon. Lulu says, Father Wade, please explain how a Protestant can enter purgatory. After all, Jesus Christ says, I am the gate. I'm sorry, Tom, can you repeat that just a little bit again? Sure, sure. Uh, Father Wade, please explain how a Protestant can enter purgatory. Jesus Christ says, I am the gate. Yes, that's exactly right. So, Uh, Purgatory is for anyone and everyone who at the moment of their earthly death Mm -hmm. has not yet atoned for uh, the temporal punishment due to their already forgiven mortal and venial sin, meaning thereby, if at the time of their earthly death they have already atoned for their mortal and venial sin, they can enter heaven immediately because there's no temporal punishment to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is not merely a Catholic thing. Purgatory is not just for Catholics. But purgatory is for everyone who dies in a state of grace, but not yet perfectly purified, because only absolute purified souls can enter heaven. 
And so those who die in a state of God's grace, but not yet perfectly purified, who still, for example, have an attachment to sin, but they died in a state of no mortal sin, maybe mm. in a state of venial sin, mm-hmm. they still need to be purified. Uh, and so that's, that's a, a reality regarding this doctrine that is meant for everyone. And remember, when Jesus says, I am the gate, purgatory can very well be considered that gate, because sure. the holy souls in purgatory are assured what? They are assured heaven. Okay, we look at purgatory as heaven's vestibule, as Mother Angelica would call it. Yes, and we mentioned that on uh, Call to Communion last hour. It's sort of like a holy mud room. You know? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> take, take care of those boots before you come on in. Yeah. Uh, Lulu, thanks for watching us on YouTube this afternoon. In a moment, we'll talk with Michael in Mobile, also Marie in North Dakota. Lines are open for you as well at 833-288-EWTN for Open Line Tuesday. Stay with us. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our congratulations going out to another member of the EWTN radio family, AM 1260, The Rock in Cleveland. They are celebrating their eighth year with EWTN. Congratulations to Bernadette Boguski, Dick Russ, and the great team there at AM 1260, The Rock, from all your friends here at EWTN Radio. Back to the phones now for Marie in North Dakota, listening on Sirius XM 130 this afternoon. Marie, what's on your mind today? Well, <clears throat> my priest uh, talked about illumination and... Um, I was just wondering what your understanding is and if it's in the Bible. Okay, great, great question. If I'm understanding you, what you mean by illumination, do you mean that at some point everyone's conscience will be enlightened at the same time to see how they at that moment stand before God, and thus they will have a chance to convert? Yes, the Church does not teach that uh, officially at all. Uh, that so-called doctrine—I uh, don't even want to use the word doctrine—that that belief in illumination, that in some point in time, everyone's conscience will be illuminated at the same time to see how each one individually stands before God, and given a chance right then and there to make a conversion, is something the Church does not teach. In fact, such a belief can actually delay conversion. It can defer conversion, which I personally believe the devil loves. In other words, someone who's living a viceful life, maybe a a fornicator in college with his girlfriend, who knows it's viceful, he knows he's left his Catholic faith now for four years, he knows he hasn't been to confession, he knows he hasn't been to confession now in five years, uh, but he just cannot give up the vice of fornication, uh, sexual relations outside of marriage with his college girlfriend, uh, and he tells himself, Oh, but my mom keeps talking about this doctrine of illumination, so uh, because that hasn't happened yet, I I, I still have time. I I still have time to convert because the the moment of illumination hasn't happened yet. And and don't think people don't think like that, because people do think like that, Mm, okay? Remember St. Augustine's famous prayer, uh, "Oh, Oh God, convert me just not yet, okay? You know, because his heart was already being tugged to the fullness of truth, but he just wasn't ready, humanly speaking, to work with God in bringing himself to work out his salvation. Mm. So the Church does not teach this. It comes from unapproved locutionaries and and locutionists, um, uh, you know, and there's several of them out there that are now promoting this. Mm. Um, I think it's very dangerous, and the Church does not teach it uh, as a doctrine at all. Uh, In fact, 2 Corinthians 2.6 says, this is the day of salvation, this is the day of the Lord, 
this is the very moment right now that we turn to God. Because uh, the Old Testament tells us, I believe it's in Micah chapter 6, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. Yeah. You do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. So again, 2 Corinthians 2, 6, this is the day of salvation. This is the, the day of the Lord. Again, uh, th- uh, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Now is the time for conversion. And I touch upon this theme very, very strongly when I exhort my readers in my 2017 book, my first book that I wrote out uh, back in 2017, it was published by W10 Publishing, that we are called to live eternity-minded, not in a macabre, morose way, no, not at all, but in a joyful, dedicated, pursuant way, uh, a pursuant of virtue and, and, and pursuance of virtue and striving to become and live that best version of self. This is how we live eternity-minded, and this is the day Lord, the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it from the Psalms. And again, 2 Corinthians 2.6 uh, uh, this is the day of salvation, this is the day of the Lord, should spurn us on to want to live eternity-minded in the here and now and not wait for a particular moment of illumination that the Church does not teach. Um, great question, and thank you so much for asking it. Marie, is that helpful for you? It is, but why would uh, parish priests teach that then? Or bring it I, up? I have no idea, Marie. I didn't hear specifically what he said. I couldn't make a judgment on that. He could be in sincere error. Uh, hopefully he's not doing it uh, out of malice to lead his people astray. I doubt that's the case. Yeah. He's probably been enamored with some of these locutionists uh, that have that have put forth this purported belief, uh, and he just hasn't done his homework. Um, we want to we want to be converted now. This is the day of salvation. This is the day of the Lord. Marie, thanks again for your call. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes here on EWTN Radio. A couple lines open for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Michael is a first-time caller from Mobile listening on the great Archangel Radio. Michael, what's on your mind today, sir? Yeah, thanks. Uh, need a little direction. A few weeks ago, my wife and I went to Mass at a local church, and uh, after Mass, we ran into a, a couple we know socially, sweet, sweet people, mm-hmm. and made small talk, and uh, uh, I said, hey, I didn't know y'all were Catholic. And they go, oh, well, she is. And the gentleman says, I'm not. He goes, I go to a, a, you know, a Protestant church, a Episcopalian. I go, well, and she goes, well, we switch over. And, you know, we, we both go to each other's mass. I go, well, that's kind of nice. And uh, and uh, went to Mass Sunday and saw him again. And lo and behold, I saw him go up and uh, receive the Eucharist. So I'm behind him. And my prayer thoughts get altered, like, is he going to re- actually do this? <laughs> and, uh, and and he did. And, uh, you know, I'm going, what, what is the protocol here for, for somebody like me? Sure. Who, that great i can't believe the sweet people i can't believe they don't know right right and so they need good catholic uh individuals to witness to them to give them the truth about the eucharistic doctrine and what the church teaches holy communion is precisely for those who are in communion with the church quote unquote and if he's a non-catholic but yet still believes in the doctrine of the eucharist that at the words of consecration, it's no longer ordinary bread and wine, but truly, really, and substantially our Lord's body, blood, soul, divinity, more reason for him to enter RCIA, because as a non-Catholic, he does believe in the Eucharistic doctrine. 
if he's a non-Catholic, which he is, and does not believe in the Eucharistic doctrine, more reason for him not to believe and to be witness to by you and your bride, your wife, as to why he shouldn't be receiving. Now, we do, th- we do fraternal correction when we give it. This would be an example of giving this individual fraternal correction, mm-hmm. brotherly correction. Uh, three guideposts uh, help assist with it. And these three guideposts or hallmarks come to us from St. Thomas Aquinas, and it is that the fraternal correction be done privately, charitably, and rarely. It needs to be done privately so as not to embarrass them in front of other people. Uh, So you would never correct him on his having received Holy Communion after Mass when people are gathered in the vestibule, maybe eight to ten people talking together and socializing uh, in the vestibule after Mass. You would never correct him in front of all those people. That would be very imprudent and wrong for you to do so. So you do it privately so as not to embarrass him in front of other people. You do it charitably, number two, charitably, because charity is the queen of the virtues, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love, okay? And then thirdly, if he's an adult, which I presume this person is, you do it rarely. Why? Because they have to work out their salvation. Uh, And in giving him privately, charitably, and rarely the doctrine, you would also want to quote 1 Corinthians, where St. Paul says, those who receive in an unworthy manner are actually receiving to their further condemnation. So you not only want to give him the doctrine of what the Church believes and why we call it a Holy Communion line, for those precisely who are in Holy Communion, you also want to quote St. Paul, who says those who receive unworthily are, drink, are eating and drinking the body and blood of the Lord to their further condemnation. And you, you, you want the salvation of his soul. This is why you're witnessing to him privately, charitably, and rarely. If after two or three attempts you're still seeing that he's still receiving, then I would go to the priest privately, charitably, and rarely, and let the priest know that you have knowledge that he's a non-Catholic and he's still receiving, and then let the priest approach him uh, and talk to him about it. Uh, But I want to thank you, uh, Michael, for uh, your zeal in this regard. You have great zeal for the Eucharist, especially during this three-year Eucharistic revival, where we are called to understand and appreciate and love and profess the Eucharistic doctrine more and more. And this doesn't just mean how our own individual souls are well prepared to receive Holy Communion, but it also means how we promote the doctrine, how we educate others on the doctrine, how we want to receive worthily, which not only means in a state of sanctifying grace, but how we want to receive worthily and properly, reverently, whether on the tongue directly or on the hand directly. Reverence when receiving Holy Communion. These things are important too. So thank you, Michael, for a great witness question and and a great, great, uh, beautiful concern for your friend. God bless you. Thanks for your call, Michael. Let's go to uh, Allison now in Michigan, listening on Ave Maria Radio. Allison, what's on your mind today? Hi, um, I was wondering about spiritual warfare and in regards to, um, for example, spells, taxes, those sorts of things, um, do, how much weight do we put in those things? And if if we are to take those uh, seriously, shouldn't we all be saying deliverance prayers daily, uh, yeah. for example? Or how, you know, how, how much do we have to concern ourselves with that? Great question. Well, remember the standard practice of doing the particular examination of conscience at midday and the, and the general examination of conscience at the end of the day. Two standard practice in a solid Catholic spiritual life. And we close each one of those with an act of contrition. An act of contrition is, per se, a prayer of deliverance prayed by the individual for themselves, right? So the particular examine, we look at a particular virtue we're trying to advance or a particular vice we're trying to uproot out of our life at around midday or one o'clock. We focus on it for about a minute, 
close with an act of contrition. Then at the end of the day, that's called the particular examine at the, about a particular vice or a particular virtue. At the end of the day, we make a general examine where we look at our whole day generally and how we did generally speaking uh, in regards to the whole day, in regards to all vices and all virtues, right? And so uh, we close that after one or two minutes with an ex- with an act of contrition. So the act of contrition is a prayer of deliverance. There's also good Catholic prayer books out there that uh, have prayers of deliverance that can be prayed by a laity, and then uh, special minor exorcism prayers that can be prayed only by priests who are not exorcists, and of course um, major exorcism prayers that can be prayed by priests who are uh, delegated to be exorcists per se by their appropriate bishop. So there's major exorcism prayers for the exorcists themselves, there's minor exorcism prayers for the for any priest, and then there's prayers of deliverance that a layperson or a priest can pray either on behalf of himself or for uh, another person. We can also have prayers of deliverance for cities, we can also have prayers of deliverance for families, etc. And they're out there. Uh, Sophia Institute Press, which works in conjunction with EWTN Publishing, has a wonderful collection of books on spiritual warfare that include prayers uh, of deliverance. So you might want to look at Sophia Institute's website. Also, EWTN Publishing would carry these same texts, would offer these same texts to the public. Um, so th- that's something you would want to look at. But you're absolutely correct. And how serious are such things as as hexes and and charms and the like? Uh, to, to kind of rephrase the beginning of your question, the first part of your question, very serious. The church mm-hmm. teaches that all of these things can be actual portals, that is, doorways uh, to the occult, either wittingly or unwittingly. Huh? It's more dangerous if one is seeking out these things wittingly but they can also be uh, an opening, a portal to the occult and occultic behavior, or at least occultic influence, if the person is even unwittingly uh, doing it for that purpose. Uh, you know, we, we don't want to try to have a foreseen of the future. We don't want to have a, uh, uh, a, a try to have a control of the future. We don't want to have to try to have a control of the past, things like that. No. Again, this is the day of salvation. This is the day of the Lord. Um, you know, so many saints have taught us this about the here and now and the so-called sacrament of the present moment. Mother Angelica talked about the sacrament of the present moment. Uh, Mother Teresa said, um, don't worry about the past, don't have an overly concern about the present, and don't uh, worry about the future. No anxiety about the past, uh, or excuse me, I think it's the opposite. No worry about the past, no uh, inordinate concern for the present, uh, and no anxiety about the future, right? And how about St. Padre Pio, his own morning offering? He, said, he would say, um, my past, O Lord, to your mercy, my present to your love, and my future to your divine providence. Mm, yeah. And uh, a great American saint, uh, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, she would say, correct, O Lord, what I have been, perfect what I now am, and direct what I shall become. Wow. Uh, These are just three great prayers from Mother Teresa, St. Padre Pio, and St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, one of our own American saints. Go back and listen to the podcast to write those down. But just powerful, powerful prayers about the importance of the here and now. And when we can live eternity-minded in the here and now, we don't care about things that can control the future other than prayer, um, uh, or, or, or have an inordinate desire on the present, or, or try to, to, to have an inordinate desire fixed on our past either. No, we want to keep moving forward, yes, but in the here and now, and realize that now, this is the day of salvation, this is the day of the Lord, 
this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, to quote Psalms in Second uh, Corinthians 2, 6, respectively, and to live eternity-minded. So, you know, there's a great section of the Catechism, I always refer back to the Catechism, on uh, occultic behavior and occultic practices, tarot cards, Ouija boards, hexes, charms, etc. Um, great section to go make a visit to the Blessed Sacrament at your local uh, perpetual adoration chapel, maybe at your own parish or a neighboring parish. Take the Catechism with you, and in, in, with one, within one hour, read that little section on uh, the occult and what the Church teaches about that, and read it in the presence of our Lord and His Eucharistic uh, kingship exposed before you in the monstrance. Uh, great, great question. Does that kind of help you out, Allison? Oh yeah, that cleared it up. Okay, thank you so much. I appreciate your call, and, and again, a great, a great witness call, that, that, and by that I mean it, it aids other listeners who yes. might be listening. Allison, thanks so much. And if you do want to check out that podcast, uh, Michael will have that uh, posted for you in the next couple of hours here at EWTNRadio.net, EWTNRadio.net, and then click on the word podcast. It is uh, Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes here on EWTN. Coming up on many of these stations, it'll be Cresta in the afternoon with Al Cresta. That'll be at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Today, Al talks with Jimmy Mitchell about his new book, Let Beauty Speak, The Art of Being Human in a Culture of Noise. And we certainly are surrounded by noise, aren't we, Father? That's exactly right. I mean, like all the time. Does Check that out. Many of these EWTN stations starting at 4 p.m. Eastern right here on EWTN Radio. Ioannis is watching us on YouTube this afternoon. Ioannis says, how do you die in a state of grace without the forgiveness of mortal sins through the sacrament of reconciliation? I'm pretty sure Protestants aren't going to confession. Yeah, great question. And confession does remain the ordinary means by which mortal sins are forgiven. It would be the Catholic Christians who partake of that ordinary means. But remember, there's extraordinary means by which mortal sins are forgiven. If one cannot get to confession in time, or at all, because they're not a Catholic, or a Catholic who can't get to confession and who ends up being in an automobile accident before they could get back to confession, the Church teaches that perfect contrition of sin— does obtain forgiveness for even mortal sins, and of course venial sins, but for the Catholic Christian, the ordinary means remains confession. But for those who are not Catholic, perfect contrition of sin does obtain forgiveness for even mortal sins. What is perfect contrition? It's when we're sorry for our sins, most of all, most of all, because they have offended God, primarily, and secondarily because they threaten us with the loss of heaven and the pains of hell. The mortal sins do. Yeah. Okay. Uh, think of the traditional act of contrition, right? Uh, and, I, and I detest all of my sins because I dread the loss of heaven and the pains of hell. But most of all, because they have offended thee, my God, who art all good and deserving of all of my love. That's perfect contrition. Mm. Flip the flip side of that, the flip side of the coin of that, is if we're primarily sorry for our sins because of the temporal or eternal punishment they threaten us with, with purgatory or hell, respectively, that's an imperfect contrition. Imperfect contrition rids one of venial sins, but it's not uh, good enough for the forgiveness of mortal sins. Mortal sins require uh, perfect contrition. Now, that answers the question that Johannes is asking about the Catholic. So again, the Church teaches us that perfect contrition of sin uh, does obtain forgiveness for even mortal sins for those who are not Catholic, and also for the Catholic himself or herself who can't get back to confession in time as the ordinary means through which mortal sins are forgiven. 
let's remember here, as, as regards the Catholic Christian, whenever we commit a mortal sin, don't wait to get back to confession to, to have it officially forgiven by the church, because you don't know if you're going to make it back into confession. You can be in a car accident later that day yeah. after committing the mortal sin. So what am I trying to say here? I'm trying to say what the church teaches. That's what I'm trying to say, which is after you commit a mortal sin, have compunction of heart to make that perfect act of contrition immediately after your fall immediately after your fall, so that if, if the case arises where you didn't have chance to get back to confession, to the sacrament, as the ordinary means for the Catholic Christian to be forgiven of the mortal sin, at least you will have made the perfect act of contrition. All right, and uh, Ioannis, thank you so much for watching us on YouTube. Also watching today, it's Hilda, and uh, Hilda says, Father Wade, how seriously should we take our dreams? I find myself praying in my dreams or getting a message to pray the rosary daily. What do you think, Father? Well, if a, if a dream is recurring, absolutely recurring, mm-hmm. and it's also vivid, I would recommend taking it to your confessor, is what uh, I would recommend. Okay. But as a general, as a general rule, if a, if a vivid dream is passing and it's not uh, recurring in our sleep, then you don't give it much credence. You can learn from it. You might even be able to carry something out that that one-time dream revealed to you and mm-hmm. actually do the thing if mm-hmm. you know that it's pleasing to God. But just don't put lock, stock, and barrel into it and make it run your life. We don't run our life based on dreams. Okay. We, we run our lives based on the pursuance of the good, the true and the beautiful, virtue and virtuous living with God's sanctifying grace. That's how we run our life. We don't do it based on dreams. Now, St. Joseph followed dreams, but those were recurring regarding his foster son and Mary's pregnancy, mm-hmm. okay, or Mary's pregnancy and his foster son. And he followed those, okay? But also in those dreams, it was the actual archangel appearing to him, all right? So the, 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 the Bible refers to it as, as a dream, quote-unquote, but it might have been an actual apparition as well that Joseph thought was a dream. Uh, Father Calloway brings this out in his book on the consecration of St. Joseph, and I think it's an excellent point. Remember the four senses of Scripture, the literal and the spiritual. Those are the two parent categories, the Mm -hmm. literal and the spiritual. Mm -hmm. But under spiritual, we have the three subsets, the moral, the anagogical, and the allegorical. So when we read the word dreams, it could have been an actual apparition. Okay, so those are the four senses of Scripture, the literal and the spiritual. The literal is just that, the literal. We take the words at face value. But the spiritual, the second parent category, next to literal, has the three subsets. That's how we arrive at the four senses of Scripture. And the three senses of the spiritual, again, are the allegorical, the anagogical, and and the moral. So we don't want to put full, full credence in dreams. Mm-hmm. But that said, if one is recurring, take it to your confessor, explain to him what, what the recurring dream is, tell him how vivid it is, and take some spiritual guidance from him. Hilda, there you go. Thank you so much uh, for your question via YouTube. And Father, we got this yeah, this email from Matthew. It makes me sad. Matthew says, what advice can you give to a Catholic couple when the wife has no respect for her husband? Oh, well, that's a that's a, a loaded question. Yeah. It would be just as loaded if it was the other way around. Mm-hmm. Huh? Yeah. Um, I would also want to say that I would want to meet with the couple to see if the one phrasing the question is indeed truthful. Not that I doubt our emailer. It's not that I doubt him at all. But this is something of such a serious nature that you want to weigh the equality of it on both sides mm-hmm. and take it from there. But my first question to any couple that's experiencing the earliest glimmerings of trouble in their marriage is... Do either one of you have reason to believe that you're in a state of mortal sin? 
Because if you do, then you want to get to confession as soon as possible to confess that mortal sin, to have it forgiven. Why? Because that mortal sin is blocking off the graces that are proper to your sacrament of matrimony that you received in the Catholic Church however many years ago. Let's say your marriage was seven years ago, and at year five, your marriage is falling apart, and yet neither one of you have been to confession since the night before the wedding when the priest, after the rehearsal for the wedding, offered to hear confessions of the bride and groom and the entire wedding party. Mm. But since your wedding day seven years ago, you haven't been to confession at all, and now five years after the wedding, uh, you, you start experiencing problems in your marriage, but for the last two years, indeed all seven years, you haven't been to confession at all. And, uh, you know, the, the graces are cut off from your sacrament of matrimony until you confess that mortal sin. And remember, confession, those nine chief benefits of confession that I've talked about so many different times on Open Line Tuesday, the will is strengthened, uh, mediocrity is overcome, lukewarmness, lukewarmness in the spiritual life is overcome, etc., etc. We grow in self-knowledge. These are things we need to make our vocation strong, whether single, married, or as consecrated priests, brothers, or sisters, right? Uh, or, or single in college, even, or, or single through widowhood, mm-hmm. how, how to be come and live that best version of self. We need confession. Uh, then also, I, I'm a big advocate of, of good, solid marriage counseling. And if it's of a Catholic couple that needs the assistance with counseling, try to find a great marriage counselor who is Catholic himself or herself, who practices the sacraments, who lives the sacramental economy of the church himself or herself as a, as a, uh, psych, as a psychologist uh, or a marriage therapist. Mm-hmm. They understand the beauty and the importance of an active sacramental life, especially those sacraments, those two of the seven sacraments that can be received over and over and over again uh, with uh, much frequency, and that is confession and Eucharist. Why is that? Why is it only confession and Eucharist that we can receive over and over again? Because these are the two sacraments that sustain us in our vocation and state in life, right? So here you might have a couple that's going through marital problems, but neither one's been to confession in, in, in seven years since before they were married, the night before they were married. And uh, they may or may not be still receiving Holy Communion. And if they are still receiving communion, Holy Communion, are those Holy Communions or are those sacrilegious communions? Mm-hmm. I ask that question because I can think of at least one one of the five precept laws uh, or the two of the five precept laws that are not being fulfilled. That is, I shall confess my sins at least once a year, number one, and in number two, in preparation for my Easter Communion. But yet, if you haven't been to communion or conf- if you haven't been to confession in seven years, there's two of the five precepts you're not following right there. Yeah. So we need to know our faith, practice our faith, defend our faith, live our faith, and share our faith. Amen. Uh, uh, Matthew, thank you so much for your question. Father Wade, could you leave us with your blessing, please? I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners and remain with each and every one of you this day and always. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us. On behalf of our fantastic team here, I'm Tom Price for Jack Williams. And be sure to tune in tomorrow at this time. Father Mitch Pacwa will be answering your questions as well. I'm Tom Price. We will see you next time. Have a wonderful day and God bless.